All right, if you want to uh, go ahead and return to your, your seat. I'm going to make a couple announcements, and I want to uh, make reference to the bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, raise your hand. There's some bulletins in the back. They're going to pass them out. So if you didn't get one, we have extras. I don't want them to go to waste. So raise your hand if you didn't get one. It's okay. We know you're late, so it's too late. to. So. Um, in your uh, center section of the bulletin is a few announcements. I'm not going to go over them all, but as you can see, there's several things coming up. One of them is... On Thursdays, uh, a handful of us have been going down to Asheville to be a part of a homeless outreach where we're serving dinner and just uh, learning names and making uh, uh, relationships with people. Um, We've been asked, um, and I've kind of like asked for them, but they asked for us as well to kind of run with one of the Thursdays per month. So the third Thursday, starting in November, every month, the third Thursday, we're going to go down there and the Grove is going to um, be in charge of, 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 of having dinner and serving dinner um, with the group down there in Asheville. And so we've been going, a handful of us each week or every other week, but now we're going to take a team. We're looking for about 12 to 15 people to go down there with us and help serve dinner. And so um, please, if you're interested in that, mark that on your card and I will follow up with you. We need to get a team set together for the third week of November. Um, so I want to make sure we have numbers. This Thursday, if you're looking for, hey, I want to go maybe check it out. This Thursday, they, they are short volunteers asking for about five or six of us to go down there with them. So this Thursday would be a great time to go down there and try it. We get there. We leave here about 4 o'clock, 4.15. We get there. Um, by 6.30, we're done, and we're packing up and headed back uh, to um, Swain. Unless we stop at White Tuck, Taco, White Duck Taco. That's so good. Uh, it's a good place. Um, bring some cash with you. So, uh, all right. A uh, couple things. Uh, the second announcement about the, the corn maze that was supposed to be yesterday is next Saturday, the 17th, not the 18th. I did that on purpose so you would see the date was wrong and re- think about the 17th. So, so Saturday, October 17th, um, teenagers in the Grove Kids program is going. Um, that morning, we're also being a part of the, uh, um, the uh, uh, chili cook-off downtown. Um, and then this Friday, we are serving uh, football players and cheerleaders some dinner um, this this Friday here uh, at the church. Congratulations on the win Friday night, guys. Well done. Wait, so <clears throat> sorry, Cherokee. I mean, well, so um, but uh, uh, um, it, uh, this 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 Friday we'll be serving dinner. So if you want to be a part of that, there's information on there. So several things going on. Um, one big thing is our small groups. Our uh, next six weeks of small group launch today. They start uh, t- well. They start tomorrow. Um, there's a Monday night group. There is two Wednesday night groups and a Sunday lunch and a Sunday evening group. Those Sunday groups start next week. It's our second round of group. We, we're calling them um, back to the table or, or come to the table. And it's this idea that through the uh, Gospels, we've, um, uh, we've talked about it last series, and we're going to talk about it in this new message series. Um, that when Jesus had encounters with people at, at the table um, where, they, where the bread was broken and they ate together, there was this eye-opening experience where they encountered Christ through each other and through Christ himself. Um, and, and we want that to happen. We want community to happen that way. And so the groups are the same but different. Um, instead of meeting around in someone's living room or, or on the church sanctuary for some of the groups, they're going to be meeting around a, a, a dinner table. They're going to be talking about your week, sharing stories. You're going to open up scripture and kind of study some of the stuff that we were talking about on Sunday mornings. And then you're also going to break bread together. You're going to have dinner together. And it's not going to be a a giant meal, but it's just going to be a time to where you can encounter Jesus together. And so if you want to be a part of those groups, there's already uh, over 50. Some people signed up for groups. There's a few spots left on Sundays. Uh, Wednesday's pretty full. Mondays, there's a few spots left too. So if you want to be a part of those groups, they're just six weeks long. Sign up in the back or use use your little hand out your table or the insert in your bulletin uh, or you can peel it off and, and turn that in um, before you leave today. 
One thing that we're going to do throughout then this six-week series um, with small groups is we're going to show and, and have a small group spotlight each Sunday morning where I show you a video. And it's just going to be a couple minutes long, and it'll, it'll be part of the discussion that will happen in your small group. And so if you're here and you're part of small groups, you'll want to pay attention, um, not just to the message, because we'll be talking about that as well, but to this, this, this video. Um, the video will also be online that you can see throughout the week in case you missed it. But uh, each week we're going to talk about um, or just show a quick spotlight, uh, a quick peek into what small groups will look like. Um, today's video uh, is an interview with a guy named Walter Brugman. It's a very short video, but Walter Brugman, as many of you probably know, is one of the leading theologians when it comes to the Old Testament. You probably didn't know that. I didn't know that as well, but um, Tim told me in his Google search. It was thanks, Tim. <laughs> But uh, Walter Brugman has written over 60 books. He's also written several commentaries about the Old Testament. Um, and so he's asked in this, this short video, um, what is the role of the church? Which is a question I think our culture is begging to ask in church or out of church. What is the role of the church? And here's his response. Watch this video. church is trying to is to try to uh, act out the neighbor narrative that is an endless challenge to whatever one calls the other narrative so uh, the the idea that from the beginning Jesus was on a collision course with the Roman Empire uh, I think is already indicated in the Gospel of Luke uh, in, in Mary's Magnificat that Luke puts right at the beginning, which it says he will uh, fill the empty with good things and send the rich empty away. It's astonishing in the, in the old scholarship. When, when I went to seminary a long time ago, uh, we, we were taught that Luke was the one that did not want to raise any questions with the Roman Empire because uh, they really thought you had to get, well, how could we have read it that way when you, when you read the book of Acts and, and so on? So that, that Luke has Mary announce uh, that the story of Jesus we're about to tell is a story of contradiction and conflict. And then I think Jesus simply lives out the song that his mother sang. Which, which calls into question all the structures uh, by which people are kept uh, immobilized and disadvantaged and devalued. And, uh, and what the gospel narrative tells is that Jesus had this incredible capacity to keep breaking that open. So I think that um, in the Gospel of Luke, or maybe any of them, but in the Gospel of Luke, long before you get to the, the wonder of Easter, Jesus has already performed many resurrections uh, of people who had been declared dead by the dominant system. I didn't know you, I thought you just read the Old Testament. I, I peek over there okay. every once in a while. 
Okay, so you have uh, this Old Testament theologian. He's asked, what do you think the role of the church is? And his response was to live out, to, to be the neighbor narrative. And a couple things he said in there was that Jesus came to destruct, uh, deconstruct the, the structures that the society had used to keep people uh, in and certain people out. And he said that before the resurrection of Christ, before the Easter story, we had uh, Jesus already bringing back to life people that society said was dead. And so that's the discussion that we're going to have uh, in our small groups. Um, so if you're listening to the podcast right now, you can find that video on our website. Um, but Monday, Wednesday, um, and next Sunday are our groups. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 9. We uh, were in Matthew 9 just a couple weeks ago. Um, Jody filled in last week. She was amazing. Um, Last week, so thank you very much, Jody. But uh, um, we're going to go back to Matthew 9 and, and in verse 9. Questions of today's culture, um, we're asking, you know, with, with, what the role of the church is. Some other questions uh, that came to my mind that we ask as a culture were things like, you know, when you're at the movie theater, who gets the armrest, right? That's one of the questions as a culture we ask, right? Who gets it? Did you share it? Is it first come, first serve? Do you like, you know, because they have drinks now in them. And so now who, who gets the armrest? I think that's a, a question our culture asks, you know. What about over or under on the toilet paper? Over or under? Over. Who says over? You're correct. So you are correct. You know, it's over, right? Those are questions we need to know. How about this? You ever been to the grocery line and like there's a long line, you're waiting, and you see a, a, a new uh, um, a clerk coming to the register and you know she's about to open up or he's about to open up the, and you're just waiting there and she, they say, I can help who's next. You're like, who, who's next? Who does that mean? Is it me? Is it them? You know, there's that fight. And then it's that, that moment where you're deciding is that where that third person comes in and just jumps right in line, right? And you're very, very angry and you, you want to throw that divider stick at them. Right? Does anyone ever happen? Yes, I know some of you. How about this? Big question. Do married people really live longer than single people or does it just feel that way? You know what I mean? It's a question. That's a question we got to ask. I, just kidding. I love you. I, I really love, I love, I love every moment of it. I love. Um, so what is the role of church? What is, what is church supposed to be? What is it supposed to look like? It's a question that I've been wrestling with for a long time. Um, I'm excited about this series because in the fall, I get a chance to kind of talk about vision, talk about dreams that I have for this church, what I want this place to be and, and look like, um, some of the same dreams that you guys have. Uh, today after the service, we're having our, our, our annual members meeting, and so we get to talk a little bit about that. But I, but I shared with the members this week, said, hey, be here on Sunday. Don't miss out on Sunday. If you can't make the meeting, make the service because I want to talk about some ideas and some dreams I have. And so um, my question is, what is our job in this community? What is the primary function of, of us as a church, the, the local church? Well, are we the church that Jesus, Jesus envisioned for, for this area? What would a community designed by Jesus even look like? You know, would Jesus, would Jesus go to this church, right? I'm going to tell you a joke. Don't, don't stop me if you've heard it, but there's, um, there's this guy. He, he, he's walking into to, to church. I won't say which one it is, but he's walking up there, and he's in flip-flops and shorts and a T-shirt, and he, he gets up to the front door, and one of the elders stop him and say, hey, man, you can't, you can't come in here dressed like that. That's not what we wear here. I, you know, I need, I need you to do this. Go home. I want you to pray. I want you to talk to God, talk to Jesus. And just tell him, ask him what you think uh, it means to go to church. What would, should you dress like? What, what would be respectful? What should you wear when you go to this church? Do that and come back. And so the next week, Elder's sitting there at the front steps, and here comes this guy again. He's dressing again, shorts, flip-flops, T-shirts. He's coming to the door. And the guy's like, hey, man, didn't, didn't I tell you last week? 
you know, didn't I tell you to go home and, and ask Jesus what, what you think you should wear to this church? And he said, I did. He just said he's never been to your church, so I, he couldn't help me. <laughs> so get him. <clears throat> that's good. Uh, Jesus, verse 9, let's, let's read this. Matthew verse 9 says this. As Jesus went on from there, so Jesus is in Capernaum doing his business, uh, starting his ministry, things like that. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, uh, wait, did I miss a verse there? Hold on, let me get my Bible. Give me a Bible real quick. I think I left the verse out. I'll get it, thanks. <laughs> Hold on. I copied and pasted and I missed the verse. All right, Matthew, New Testament. All right. It's probably on the screen behind me. I could have just turned right there, right? Look at that. It's just boom, shoo. Um, all right, Matthew, uh, verse 10 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Upon hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So uh, a review from a couple weeks ago. Um, Jesus, again, he's in Capernaum doing uh, his ministry. He's starting to recruit some of his disciples. Uh, he walks past a tax collector's booth and sees a guy named uh, Matthew sitting there. And so Matthew must be a tax collector. And Jesus says, man, you look like a disciple, man. You look like you could be a disciple. Follow, follow me. And now you've got to remember that these guys were the most hated of all the people at the time, right? They had even their own category, right? When the New Testament mentions them, they're not even lumped in with sinners, right? It's they're sinners and then there are tax collectors, right? And Jesus looks at Matthew, the tax collector, and he says, follow me. And so Jesus, uh, Matthew gets up and he follows Jesus, right? And what's important about the invitation that we talked about was to, the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation for everybody, it wasn't Matthew, man. Hey, hey, Matthew, when you stop doing blank, then you can follow me. Then you can be a part of my crew. This was a formal invitation to follow Jesus and belong to, to his crew. Now, you and I have been taught that it's, that it's change first, and then you can join us, right? Many of us have grown up in churches like that. You know, Jesus is saying something different here. He says, join us. Enter into a relationship with me. Follow me. And change will happen. Come with your doubts. Come with your questions. If there are patterns of sin in your life, these things don't disqualify you from following me. When you enter into a relationship with someone, over time things change. The things you care about. The things you value. The, the way you spend your time or you spend your money. And it might not be in two weeks or two months, but over time... You begin to love like Jesus. You begin to love who he loved. You be about the things that he was about. And so that's what we talked about um, in Matthew a couple weeks ago. And so let's move to um, verse 10. We spent a lot of time on verse 9. Verse 10 again reads this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came. And so here's that idea that tax collectors and sinners had their own classification. Uh, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples uh, with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I also want to point out that, that it says that there were many tax collectors and sinners there, right? 
And so it's not like just two or, two or three of them had gathered, but there was many of them. The, there was a bunch of them. The house was filled with tax collectors and sinners. Now, this act alone would have confused the disciples. It would have drove the religious crowd crazy. So if you understood the, the table in the mealtime during the first century, you would know that, that they were both very symbolic. If you, uh, being welcomed to the table for the purpose of eating food with another person uh, had become a ceremonially rich symbol of friendship, intimacy, and unity. On top of that, the law would have forbidden Jesus to eat with Gentiles or with non-practicing Jews because if you followed faithfully the, the dietary res- regulations, right, uh, that the Israelites couldn't enter into these intimate relationships that shared meals uh, would create. The food laws that they had not only symbolized cultural boundaries, they also created them. And so this was another way for the religious people of God to create division with other people. And this had to be the disciples' worst nightmare. They knew that this was going to happen sooner or later. From the moment Jesus invited Matthew to follow him. They're like, hey, Jesus, man, me and the guys were talking, really, it was Andrew, he wanted to tell you this, but this guy named Matthew that you've invited to hang out with us, the dude's a, a tax collector. We know you're God, and, you know, but are you sure this is the smart thing to do? Are you worried about your reputation, Jesus? This guy's a tax collector. He's a liar, a cheater, a traitor. Everyone knows who he is. This is going to make us look bad. Jesus, you're inviting this guy to do life with us, to travel with us, to be in, accepted into this community. Aren't you worried about what the others might say? They're going to talk. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. And you're going to love this. Tonight we're going to his house for dinner, right? And the guy's like, no way, Jesus. We, we can't go to his house. There, his friends might show up. Other tax collectors might be there. And Jesus is like, yeah, many of them, right? And the religious leaders, they, just, they didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They were bothered by this. Those types of people aren't supposed to be in the church, Remember the question I asked you a few weeks ago? We, were, we read the story of Jesus uh, having dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house, right? And this woman walks in and she, she washes Jesus' feet. And the religious people were like, if he was really God, he would know what kind of person was touching him. And they were uncomfortable. And I asked you, well, when was the last time you made religious people uncomfortable about the people you were hanging out with? Jesus was unbelievably comfortable being around people who were nothing like him. Different beliefs, morals, values, different mission. People who were nothing like Jesus loved hanging out with Jesus, right? And I'm not sure exactly what it was, right? But Jesus, maybe he was just comfortable with who he was or comfortable with what his mission was. Our mission as a church reads like this, to turn Irreligious people into fully devoted followers of God. In other words, non-believers. People far from God. People not in a relationship with God. We want to see that change. Question. How many people in your circle of friends did I just describe? Maybe the reason, maybe the reason some of us are uncomfortable around messy, broken people is because that's not why we're here. That's not our individual mission. 
That's not why we go to church. For some of us, we're just, we're just not on that mission. Church for us is just a place to hang out. It's a hobby. It's a social club. It's a place I go to get fed. A place to find a bunch of people just like me. Maybe it's a place to go and judge the sins of others. For some of us, it's just to fulfill our church attendance record. And now, pastor, you're messing it all up. You're asking us to serve, to give money, to make friends with irreligious people. I want to come and just be seen at church. Church should be a place where we can invite people to explore what a relationship with God looks like. Because remember, the invitation to follow Jesus is for everybody. And Jesus was unbelievably comfortable being around people who did not have the same values as him, did not have the same morals as him, did not have the same beliefs as him, did not look, smell, act, talk like a Christian. And Jesus was comfortable with that tension. If you're here this morning, and maybe there are patterns of sin in your life that you just haven't been able to break yet, Maybe you have doubts and questions, like huge questions about God and faith and life. And you truly believe that if the people here knew that, that they would be uncomfortable around you. Or they probably know it already and they are probably already uncomfortable uh, about being around you. You believe that they don't want you here. If you think that we're not comfortable with you being here, you need to know this. That is our problem, not Jesus's. Jesus would not be put off by your sin, your doubt, your questions. Jesus would be unbelievably comfortable being around you. And the invitation to follow him is for you. He's inviting you into relationship with him. Jesus has a totally opposite strategy to forming community than we do. We have a checklist, right? We have rules and criteria that need to be followed and met first. Things like same values, same economic bracket, same, same whatever. And here's the thing. If you've ever even been a part of a community that looks like that, even with a lot of love, there's still going to be tension there, right? Whether it's your family, your coworkers, your, your circle of friends, someone will do and someone will say something that you don't agree with. Politics, ideology, faith, and there will be tension in that community. And we have, we have all, we all have people that, are, that we're close to that, that believe, act, vote differently. But we do not break relationship with them. Jesus purposely did this. And I want to do it too. And community is not always full of tension. But if we're following Jesus' strategy for community, there's going to be tension at times. And I would be worried if there wasn't. In fact, so much so that my guess is, and this is the hard reality of church life, some of you won't stick around here very long. Tension will make you so uncomfortable, you're like, I'm out, I can't handle it. And that's okay. Disciples and people who were following Jesus walked away from him all the time, and he was Jesus. So what's left for us is awkward encounters with people at Ingalls, right? Or, or at the football game on Fridays, or, or maybe at, at coffee houses we see people that we, just, we, we have broken relationship with. 
I think that's why some churches have actually built coffee houses inside their church. That way you don't have to run into anyone that like left the church, right? You just be there. But I have said this since I have been here. We are not the best church in town. We are not the only church in town. And I would put money that there is a good church out there for you because the Grove is not for everybody. But please, for the sake of Christ, read some articles about the right way to leave a church. You can find them on Google. I can email them to you, whatever. But when you leave without telling anybody and you disappear, or you leave spreading gossip and and half-truths, you're not making me look bad. I'm a mess. I confess. You, You win. I'm a mess. I told you that. You just make a mockery of Christ, what it means to be the church. I'm probably the only pastor that's giving you advice on how to leave, but there it is. <laughs> what I want is, I, what I want to have happen is to create a community that sometimes there's tension here. If you're looking for a community where everyone thinks alike, votes the same, dresses the same, believes the same, acts the same, or in other words, everyone is just like you, you will probably not, this will probably not be the long-term place for you. We must create an environment where people can belong before they believe. That was Jesus' design for community. This needs to be a place where people can think differently, believe differently, act differently, where we understand that this invitation to follow Jesus was for everybody. And this is why ministry is messy. And I want it to be messy. But we have to follow Jesus' example for creating community. And that's what I want to look like for, the, for, 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 the, for this going forward. I want to look at some things Jesus did. You'll find these things in the back of your bullets, and there's an outline there. Three things that Jesus did creating community. First is Jesus declared that everyone was welcome. That was the first thing Jesus did, invited everyone to follow him. We need to be a church that welcomes everybody. Everyone's welcome at our church and our community. If you look at the ministry of Jesus he, he comes off the mountainside, right, after giving the most quoted sermon of all time. And what does he do? He lives it out in front of the people. He goes right to the outcast and to the outsider, and he restores them to society. The Gentiles, the lepers, the, the Roman soldiers, the tax collectors, all were welcome. And the disciples didn't get it. The religious leaders of that day didn't get it. They didn't like it. There was moments where they were embarrassed by it, like at Matthew's house intentionally created community where at times there was tension. And we don't know how to answer the questions the Pharisees were asking. We don't know how to answer the questions that people are asking today. Why are they allowed in? Why doesn't Jesus confront that person about their sin right away? Why did he ask that guy to join us? You see, Jesus showed up on the scene in the New Testament and wrecked the religious systems that they had created. The systems that Mary sang about in her song that was referenced in the video. Systems that allowed certain people in and kept certain people out. And how did the religious people of that day thank him? Well, they gave him the cross, right? They killed him for it. The wound at the heart of Judaism was Gentile occupation in the promised land. They weren't supposed to be allowed in. It was for us, not them. And again, it was tension. Intentionally created by Jesus in the context of community. 
And when you declare that everyone is welcome, this changes things. It took time for disciples to get it. Some of them never got it. It's why they chose to walk away and quit following him. But some of them stuck around. And then these guys developed the early church. And if you understood who was a part of the early church, most of us would be uncomfortable being around them. The church was filled with people who didn't look, act, live, love, believe, vote, dress the same way. And what did Paul preach to them? Unity. You're to be one in Christ. Now, deep breath. Listen. Welcoming doesn't mean affirming. If you're cheating on your taxes or cheating on your spouse, if you're selling meth or you gossip or you worship idols, we're not affirming those things. There are destructive behaviors that lead to death, and we want to love you enough to tell you that. If you're headed down a road that will take your life, we need to love you enough to offer another route. Community is at its best when it embraces both grace and truth. I say it again. Community is at its best when it embraces both grace and truth. And Jesus was the only one who perfectly embraced both of them. The rest of us, we lean, we lean one side or the other, right? Either too much grace or, or too much truth. And too much of either one of them is lacking love. And what's more complicated is the fact that you and I, we sway back and forth depending on the relationship that we have with that person, right? When you, when you give grace to the, your friends and the people that you're hanging out with, but then you, you post truth all over your Facebook page, right? Yeah, you know those people. There should be a constant balance of both grace and truth. Too much of either one, we're not fully loving people. And no community will be perfect without the equal amount of both. And as a pastor, as your pastor, I make mistakes. Ministry is messy, and that's not an excuse. That's just being honest. You remember the story in John chapter 8. Jesus, uh, they, they bring this woman that was caught in adultery right? They bring her before Jesus. They don't bring the guy, and that's a whole new, another sermon. But they bring this woman to, to Jesus, and the law says that she was to be stoned. Jesus was not turned off by her lifestyle. Jesus was completely comfortable with her. He offered her grace where he did not condemn her. He said, you're not responsible for this. But then he offered her truth. He said, go and sin no more, because there is a sting to death and sin and you were created for more than this. Everyone welcome doesn't mean everything is approved. But there's no room for judging. There's no room for exclusion. And there's no room for reducing people to a label. You're not healthy. You're not spiritual. You're whatever. Because when I say you're not, the implication is, is that I am. And Jesus says there's no room for that. And I love what Jody said last week in regards to this. You know, I, we've heard it say that you need to love the sinner, hate the sin. Newsflash, that's not in the Bible. Jesus never said that. Christians love to say it, though. I was taught to say that growing up in church. What Jesus did say was, love the sinner, hate your own sin. And when you take care of your own sin, then you can come back and we'll talk about their sin. And if today that same story would have played out, 
I don't think many of today's Christians would have dropped their stones. Instead, I think they would have put them in their pockets for the next opportunity. Could there be a Jesus community that is so relentlessly loving that people who gave up on church a long time ago and and people who thought that they would never be caught dead in the same room with people who were different racially, ethnically, culturally, economically, sexually, morally, generationally, where people like that could say, I don't know if I believe everything that church believes, but I do believe that that would be a safe place for me to explore this invitation to follow Jesus. Could that happen here? Well, it starts with everyone's welcome. But you need to know this. This makes ministry messy. And we love the idea of being a place that welcomes everybody. But to actually be it, that's a whole new ballgame. There will be tension, and you will be uncomfortable. And you're not going to know what to do with that tension at times. But you have to trust and know that we're trying to create a community where people can explore what a relationship with Jesus looks like and journey together. The second thing Jesus did, we, we have to admit our messiness, right? To be honest about all of our brokenness. And we're not there yet. I'm, I'm not there yet. But let us not forget that we are all sinners saved by grace. But for some reason, we think that the starting point with following Jesus is, well, we've got to try harder. We've got to pray more. We've got to read the Bible more. We've got to give more money. We've got to serve more. And those are all important things. But it says, Jesus says it's more simple than that. You just need more humility. You need to admit that you're a mess and that you need God. Quick exercise. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a mess and you need God. Do it real quick. All right. Now, look at them and say, I'm a mess and I need God. Ah, that's a little harder to do. That's a little harder to do. We like, we like to tell people about their mess, right? But confess our mess? Not so much, right? In chapter 2 of the big book of Alcoholic Anonymous, some of you have read this book. This is found in chapter 2. I want to read this to you. It says this, We are average Americans. All sections of this country and many of its occupations are represented, as well as many political, economic, social, and religious backgrounds. We are people who normally would not mix. But there exists among us a fellowship of friendliness and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck with camaraderie, joyousness, and uh, democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go into our, on our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us, but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. What a great description of the Grove Church. We are a people, a group of people who wouldn't normally mix. But we gather under the understanding that we are a mess and we need God. And our brokenness is what we share. But it's Christ who holds us together. You see, the early church, they understood this. In Galatians, it said, there were no Greek, no Gentile, no slave, no free, no woman, no man. 
And they got to be going, wait, wait. There's slaves in here. There, there are Gentiles here. There's both men and women in this church. Jesus is saying that's not it. What I'm saying is there's a better description for you. That you are all one in Christ. And that you're all a mess and you all need a savior. Because listen. Me left on my own. I will serve myself. I will follow idols. I will medicate my pain. Greed will enter into my heart. Guilt will control my thoughts. And ego will rule my life. I'm a mess. And I need God. And if you don't think you're a mess, stick around. There are a few people here who will point it out to you. Believe me. We'll help you figure out your mess, right? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. We are a mess and we need God. And this doesn't usually play out on Sunday mornings, but in our relationships, in our small groups, at the table. Be a part of a small group. Admit you're a mess and that you need God because people are opening their homes to messy people just like them who need God. And then let me close with this last thing. The third thing Jesus did that we must do is communicate the message of hope. You need to communicate that anything is possible. Instead, if that's not what we're going to do, let's just go home. I can't fix you, and you can't fix me. And if we don't tell people about the one who can, why are we here? Let's just go home. But this is why I love the church, because we can offer hope. You and I never know what could happen inside of somebody when they enter into a relationship with Jesus. He might use them to change the world. There was a transformation happening for Matthew. Walls were breaking down. Second chances were given at life to him. It's Halloween. We should be given second chances out like candy, right? We are creating an atmosphere of hope for the broken. Watch this video.
Matthew 9, verse 12 says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Our job is to love God and love others. And that love should compel us to see people, not for who, who they are today, but who they can become tomorrow. And deep down in all of us, we want to be fully known and fully loved. But we're afraid if we're one of those, then we won't be the other. If they know us, they won't love us. If they love us, it's because they don't know us. But in Christ, we're both fully known, fully loved. And our job is to give people hope. The church's job is to remind people of that and give them hope. And you can change. The past is not the future. And how, how do we know that? Well, the cross says so. I'm going to close in prayer. Some of you, this may have been a, a, an uncomfortable message for you. The, the elders may get some emails this week. I may not be invited back next week. If I am, I hope that you join me. After we pray, there's a members meeting down in the basement. Um, we'll gather there and we'll have lunch and we'll talk a little bit about the Grove. Let me pray with us. God, you've called us to be your church. What does that look like? May we hear from you, be led by you. Show us where we've done it wrong. Send us the right way. Send people who need hope. Send us broken, sick, dying people that need a savior messy and broken just like us and may we journey together may we explore this relationship with you this invitation that was for all of us as we welcome people as we admit that we're a mess as we offer hope god be with us in name we pray amen